Turn in your Bibles, if you will, back to Hebrews chapter 11. So we continue so slowly to make our way through this hall of fame of the uh, faithful. This morning we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11 verse 30 and the uh, story behind that. You know, sometimes it seems uh, that things that are a big deal to us really aren't that important to God. Last week in our um, little survey in Hebrews 11 here of biblical history, we left the children of Israel standing on the far side of the Red Sea, rejoicing that God had delivered them and had punished their enemies. This morning we come to the very next verse, and we find them marching around the city of Jericho. Now, as I remember the story from when I was a kid, there's something in between there. Like 40 years in the wilderness. That's particularly noteworthy here. That that's left out. For we know that these Jewish readers who had become believers and were being tempted to go back. Like the Dead Sea community at Qumran from where the Dead Sea Scrolls came. We know that they idealized the wilderness experience. The attitude of so many of the Jews in the first century was, boy, those were the good old days. That's when God was God, and we saw his hand every day, and he fed us every morning with manna, and he he gave us water of a spring that has sprung out of a rock. He led us by a a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire hovering over the tabernacle. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. If only we could go back to the good old days and know God like that again. But the writer of the Hebrew of the book of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit that inspired him does not say one word about the 40 years of the wilderness experience. And why might such a crucial thing be omitted? Because this chapter is about faith. And the wilderness experience was not a time of faith. Remember, they died in the wilderness in unbelief and disobedience. It was some kind of strange romanticism that made the Jews of of, of this day want to go back to that experience. For in God's sight, it was a bitter experience. You see, the people that we find in verse 30 marching against Jericho is a whole new generation. That whole generation that came out of Egypt died off, everyone, except Caleb and Joshua. These people were just little kids at the time, or they weren't even born yet. But unlike their forefathers, these children of Israel had learned what it meant to walk in faith. And that's what we see in verse 30. Let me just read it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. There's really just one little simple theme here as I think about it and try to boil it down, and that is simply this. Faith does not quit. Faith does not quit. It's a lesson we still need to learn, for the world, as I've said before, is full of quitters. Indeed, the church is too. In fact, one could argue that uh, the reason entertainment has been allowed to so overwhelm the church 
is a, is a desperate attempt to try to uh, keep people from quitting, from just walking away. But we'll entertain them. We'll do something to bring them in. But true faith doesn't quit. Now, that's the theme here, but let's, uh, let me give you three points to unpack that a little bit. First of all, faith does not quit even when obedience seems crazy. Faith does not quit even when obedience seems crazy. In order for you to see how crazy God's plan for Jericho sounded, you need to know something about Jericho. Jericho was just a little town, as we would consider, consider towns, but it was about average for that day. It, was, it stood on about eight acres. Some of you may mow eight acres, I don't know. But Jericho was a crucial city, for its location was at a ford in the, in the Jordan River that put it right on a key a trade route. Interestingly, it's perhaps the oldest city in the world that existed 5,000 years before Abraham, who was 2,000 years B.C. What made Jericho so impressive, though, was its defense. There's been confusion in the archaeological community about Jericho, but in 1957, the archaeologist Dr. Kathleen Kenyon published a book entitled Digging Up Jericho, in which she told of her findings there. She said the walls of the city made a direct assault on the city impossible. The first thing you came against if you were going to attack Jericho was an 11-foot-high stone abutment. From that, there was a steep slope upward to the inner wall, or to, uh, to, to, which was 35 feet high. This prevented anyone from scaling the walls, where there was no place to put a ladder to come up the walls. An earlier archaeologist had concluded that there were actually two walls, and that the inner wall was 12 feet thick. In other words, you couldn't set fire to it and burn it down, because the outer wall was, was rock. And you couldn't batter it and break a hole through it, because it was too thick. The people of Jericho were absolutely safe. Airplanes hadn't been invented yet. What could anybody do to them? If these accounts are all true, and there is some question about some of it, but if these are true, Joshua must have felt hopeless as he surveyed this city, which he would need to conquer if he was going to go on and conquer the land of Canaan, which God had given them. But Joshua probably knew all about Jericho, and in faith, he did not quit just because it seemed impossible. As Joshua was surveying the uh, situation, we learned back in, uh, in uh, Exodus, uh, I mean Joshua chapter, end of chapter 5, he came upon a stranger. And he asked the stranger, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the man answered, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come to you. That's interesting, for Joshua probably thought he was the commander of the army of the Lord. But Joshua recognized that this was a messenger of the Lord God, and he fell on his face before him. And this messenger brought God's plan of attack, which was pretty simple. Joshua, here's, what you're going to, here's how you're going to attack uh, the city of Jericho. Every day I want you to line the people up in this specified order. There's some fighting men, a, a guard, 
uh, a guard detachment. And behind them then are seven priests with ram's horn, horns, and then the Ark of the Covenant, those carrying that. And then the rest of the fighting men are behind that. And I want you to all line up and march around this city. That's not very far. It's about four-tenths of a mile. Probably the string of people would almost stretch the whole way around as they, as they marched around it. But I want you to march around the city with the, with the priest blowing the ram's horn, but the people not saying a word. And when you finish, go back to your camp. The next day, I want you to gather everybody up, and I want you to put them in the same order again. The, the, the guard up at the front guarding the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the priest with the ram's horn, the Ark of the Covenant being carried, and the rest of the fighting men. I want you to march around the city again with the, with the uh, uh, priest blowing the ram's horn, but the people not saying a word, and go back to camp. The third day, I want you to line all the people up in exactly the same order and do the same thing. And the fourth day, the same thing. And the fifth day, the same thing. And the sixth day, the same thing. And then on the seventh day, I want you to line everybody up and I want you to march around the city in that order seven times. And the priests will all blow the ram's horn and the people will shout. And the message of the Lord says, and the walls will fall down. And everyone can just go forward into the city and take the city. Have you ever heard anything so crazy? That's insane. What kind of plan is this? Joshua, to his credit, did not break out laughing. He proceeded to do what God said. And it it, it may be somewhat remarkable, the people followed him and agreed to do it. For faith does not quit just because obedience seems crazy. You know, there's some crazy things about our faith, too. Have you ever thought about that? You normally don't think about them unless you're talking with an unbeliever. They'll point them out to you pretty quick. The fact that God would send us out into a hostile world armed with words, (laughs) words, the fact that God says he, if he foreordained who would be saved and absolutely none of them will be lost. So now you go out and call them to repent and believe and be saved. That's crazy. That seems contradictory. The fact that God claims absolute sovereignty over everything uh, that, that, that happens. And yet he calls us to get on our knees and ask him for things. The fact that God repeatedly tells us that the way to gain our life is to lose it. That that the way to be first is to be last. That That the way to be great is to be humble. That the way to be forgiven is to stop defending ourselves and plead guilty. Sounds crazy. And then sometimes God sends us to serve him in situations that absolutely blow the mind seem impossible. There's often a craziness about Christianity. But faith does not quit just because obedience is impossible to understand. It seems crazy to us. That's the first thing we learn. Second thing we learn here 
is that faith does not quit when it sees no results. Faith does not quit when it sees no results. We're very result-oriented people. In fact, does it work is the ultimate test of truth for a lot of people. If it doesn't work, it can't be true. But this battle plan God gave Joshua for the capture of Jericho did not seem likely to work. Nonetheless, the first day, they all formed up in the proper order, and they began to march. They were probably a little bit apprehensive, not knowing what to expect. They may have felt foolish. They may have felt bold. We don't know. They finished their possession around the city of Jericho, and they returned to their camp. And um, what happened? What did they observe? What success did they have? Nothing. Nothing. Maybe tomorrow. Next day came, they got up early, they formed everybody up, and they marched around the city, and the horns blew, and the people didn't say a word, and they got back to the camp. Nothing had happened. On the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day, they did the same thing. We're not told anything about their state of mind, but picture the situation here. Can you imagine what the people of Jericho standing up on the wall were saying as they marched around by the time they got to the sixth day? Maybe something like, nice parade, you clowns. You're going to make us all die of laughter. You guys give it up. This town's been here 5,000 years and you're not going to change it. And somewhere along the line, don't you think they probably started to look to see if there were some cracks developing in the wall? To see if they were having some success? Nothing. So how many times did you march around this stupid city pursuing this apparently stupid plan that was not working? How many times would you do that? In spite of any misgivings which they may have had, they kept on marching day after day for faith does not quit just because it doesn't see any results yet. I knew a missionary couple, actually, I only knew her. She was very old, dying when I got to meet her. Her husband was gone. They're good friends of my wife's family. This is probably 75 or 80 years ago. God called them to go to a country in Africa and work among a Muslim people that lived in that country. And so at great personal cost, they went in obedience to the Lord. And for their whole adult lives, they worked there. Seizing every opportunity they could find to share the gospel in words and deeds. After 40-some years, their missionary career was over. And when they retired and came back to the States, what results could they point to? We all like to look back on our life and see what we accomplished How many converts had they seen in almost 50 years? One. This is not a bad story. One. They had faithfully planted the seed of the gospel. They had faithfully watered the seed they planted. But God never granted a harvest in their lifetime. Only later would others reap the fruit of their labor. 
And that's what faith looks like sometimes. It just does not quit, even though there seem to be no results. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? The lack of results. You labor to make your marriage work, and it seems like nothing changes. You give yourself to raising your kids, and it seems that all you get is tired. You try to do your business and run your, run your uh, uh, business with integrity, and all you get is criticism. You don't prosper from it. You commit yourself to greater faithfulness in your Christian life, and not only do you not see progress, it seems like actually the struggle gets worse sometimes. Do not despair, brothers and sisters. God has not demanded success of us, only faithfulness. Keep marching around the walls like I told you. The results are in his hands. And the sched- and scheduled according to his timetable, not yours or mine. Faith believes that. Enough to be faithful even when it does not yet see any results. Third thing. Faith does not quit until God gives victory. Faith does not quit until God gives victory. And so in the siege of Jericho, the Israelites came to day seven. If they were having any misgivings this day, it must have been especially hard. For on day seven, they marched around the city again and again and again and again and again and again seven times. And then God has, has God has commanded the ram's horns blew and the people I think it probably took some faith for them to do this after all these trips around the city. The people shouted exuberantly as if God had given them the victory. And without warning, the walls collapsed and they rushed straight in from every direction and conquered the city without difficulty. So what made those walls fall? Who knows? God did it. Don't know what he used. The great early church preacher St. Chrysostom remarked, Assuredly, the sound of trumpets is unable to cast down stones, though they blow for 10,000 years. Only faith can do all things. Or as F.F. Bruce comments, archaeology can throw much light, but the forces that operate in the unseen realm, such as the power of faith, cannot be dug up by the excavator's spade. The truth is there is no other explanation, but none is really needed. It all happened exactly as God had foretold. All Israel did was to put their faith in the Lord and in the, in the power of his mighty hand, A faith that would not quit, but kept doing what he told them until he gave them the victory. So this this morning I encourage you, victory is coming. The struggles of your soul are not going to go on forever. The same Savior who saved you will certainly bring you to maturity. The conflicts of this life may be difficult and persistent, but the Lord promises us victory Uh, the victory of his peace even in the midst of the conflict and ultimate victory in eternal life. The pain and suffering of your aging body is also coming to an end, not just in death, but in new life, which will go on forever. And even, even when suffering from the tyranny and the godlessness of the world, God gives victory and joy to his children who rest in him.
God guarantees the results of his work. He has promised, quote, My word that goes out of my mouth will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So faith does not quit until God gives that victory. One simple theme to take home. Faith does not quit. This was the issue with the original readers of Hebrews, remember? Would they quit or would they persevere? At the end of chapter 10, before all this long litany of people of faith started, at the end of chapter 10 we read, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith. In their time of trouble they needed to persevere, to refuse, to quit. And quitting is not an option for you either. No matter what the reason. Is following Christ making you look like a fool? Well, don't feel special. That's what the apostles experienced already. Paul writes, we're like the scum of the earth. In another place, we're fools for Christ's sake. Oh, and you don't see any results for your perseverance? Well, Abraham waited his whole life and never received the land that God promised. In fact, we read earlier in this chapter 11 that all the patriarchs died in faith having not received the things promised. Moses came out with a great division. He was going to help the peep, his people in Egypt, and he spent 40 years tending sheep out in the wilderness before God called him and sent him back. God's timetable is different from yours. And results are his business. Your business is to not quit. That doesn't mean the victory will never come. It came to the children of Israel in the overthrow of Jericho and the conquering of the land of Canaan. It came to them uh, uh, in many ways. It came to the prophets uh, ultimately when Jesus was born that they had prophesied for so many years. It will come to you and me in God's own time. You will be forever victorious over sin. You will know the complete fellowship of the Lord. You will know the end of the struggle. You will live in the reality of eternal life with God. Don't quit when the victory is so certain. And as I worked on this, I thought, could I help to think about the reformers of the 16th century? They too had to be crazy. Sure, there was corruption and false teaching in the church, but the church was not like churches today. It was monolithic. There were, there were, there were no other churches to flee to. Plus, the church uh, had, there was no theological freedom to think for yourself. Plus, the church wielded not only spiritual power, but the power of government, the power to tax, the power to imprison, the power to execute. And the church did not look with favor on dissent. And yet, here came these reformers, daring to point out that the practices of the church did not agree with the word of the God who established and owned the church. And for many, the consequences were brutal. Many lost their positions in the church, their positions in universities. Many were imprisoned, some were executed. In France, for example, the, the, the reform group called the Huguenots that were, 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 was a, a brutally opposed so that the Reformation never really ever took hold in France. 
But they did not quit. They did not quit. And God, in his grace, gave his faithful servants great victory. And the church was reformed. The gospel was recovered. Sola gratia, by grace alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Solus Christus, it is through Christ alone. And the church was purified in regard to its integrity and its purpose. Sola Dio Gloria, for the glory of God alone. And the word of God was put into the people's hands. Sola Scriptura. That we may know God as he's revealed himself in the Bible. And what was true for Joshua and the children of Israel. And what was true for the New Testament apostles. And what was true for the Jewish believers who received this writing of of the book of Hebrews. And what was true for the great reformers is still true for us today. True faith does not quit. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, you know us. And you know where our struggles are. And some of our struggles are very public. And some are very private. Some are painful. Some are subtle. Oh, God, give us faith to not quit, to not throw in the towel, to not give up, to not run to something easier, to not compromise. Oh, Lord, give us a a, a heart to see the big picture of who you are and what you're doing and to persevere until the end when we know your great salvation complete and a new heaven and a new earth in which we dwell with you. Thank you, Lord, for the example of your people and for the encouragement it is to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.